we've got uh, Alexander Bard, we've got Cattle Last, we've got Raven Connolly, and we're talking about the sexual apocalypse and the dark renaissance. Um, I pointed out that the word apocalypse means a disclosure or revelation of great knowledge. And I wanna know, uh, I wanna hear from Raven first and ask her uh, what these two terms mean to her, uh, sexual apocalypse and dark renaissance. Yes. So the way that I've been thinking about the sexual apocalypse is thinking uh, in terms of coming to terms with or the integration or revelation of pathos, the id, and these repressed sexual aspects to how our social body operates and understands itself. I've been thinking about this particularly within the context of female sexuality, um, being a woman, but then also thinking about how little we really know, like how, how confusing and kind of mercurial the sexual aspects of women are, and that the distinction of female sexuality from male sexuality, and how we can kind of begin to study or ask questions about what it is for women to come to an awareness about their own bodies from a kind of logos perspective how do we how do we how can we understand the pathos of the female body and then also the unity of those things so understanding the kind of myriad ways in which sexuality plays itself out within within community or husband would say within within the tribe and that not only being something that's operating on an unconscious level through kind of mimesis or through movement in, in the tribe between people, but is actually something that we can wield consciously and think about as a kind of uh, energetic, maybe that's kind of a hippie term to use, but as a kind of power that moves between people and can actually be wielded uh, to create some, some sort of like emergent structure, emergent energy or power within the group. And I think you could think of religion as actually having been a source of the discovery of how to wield those types of things among groups. So that's something that uh, I've been thinking a lot about. Uh, but in, in general, even thinking about the dark renaissance as kind of being a period of time where we've had this revelation or we're beginning to kind of see the light in some, in some way. And instead of just thinking about it from a kind of analytical perspective that's stuck in abstractions and in the mind, we begin to interact and engage with material worlds and to produce, to produce great art, to produce great myth um, that is rooted in the exploration of sex and pathos um, and wielding it through materiality and through ritual and in, in groups together. So the dark Renaissance, I think the, the use of the word dark is to indicate that there are very unpleasant things that we have to look at and unearth and engage with and bring those things forth and out into the material that we use to express through mythos with poetry and other forms of, of expression. So that's, that's my understanding of those words. And, and how, how do we put these two words, let's say, you know, apocalypse, uh, and and sexuality together i'm interested more on that like like um why why is sexuality so incredibly um revealing of you know the word apocalypse is a disclosure or a revelation why is it so incredibly revealing of who we are and 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 why is it so dangerous and why is it so dark and you know why is it like like um maybe i could get you know, i could get you guys maybe cadal could speak on that since you're a, a psycho, you work a lot with Freud and, and, and Jung and the psychoanalysts. 
Sure. Um, I'll, well, I like, I like the, I like the emphasis on the, the notion of apocalypse as kind of a, dis, a disclosure of great knowledge, as opposed to, you know, the more sort of common pop culture notion of apocalypse as like, you get this image of some sort of destructive chaos where everything just falls apart or something like that. Um, but actually it's kind of more like a, you know, the traditional notion of apocalypse is kind of more like a revelation than a, than a destruction of, of everything in some sort of well, it's simplistic. Both. Simultaneously. Yeah, yeah well, it's, it's, it's both simultaneously, exactly, yeah. So the disclosure of great knowledge is, is, is both the destruction and the creation of something new. Um, but why is, why is it so dangerous? Why is it so dark? It's only so dangerous and only so dark from the perspective of the impotent ego image. That's that's the only that's the only reason it's dangerous and dark. The the people like the perception that it's dangerous and dark is coming from the egoic, impotent image and the censorship of the reality of what it is. Mm -hmm. It's it's just it's just, it's like to put it in neurobiological terms. Like, and I want to get away from neurobiological terms, but just to put it in those terms first. It's like, if you look at the default mode network of the brain, there's, there's the frontal lobe, and then there's this cent central system, which basically is the structure, the neurological structure of the ego. And these two structures are in their own dialectical opposition, because the, the abstract neocortex has a problem with the primal organizing functions of the, of the base of the mind. Um, so there is this way in which there's this active censorship, which is always going on for the intellect. I'm, I'm getting a weird sound. I don't know who that's coming from. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, so there's always this censorship, which is going on from the frontal lobe of the brain and the back of the brain. And it's so weird too, because, you know, um, that's the taboo that Freud talks about, isn't it? I mean, in a way, well, that, censorship. Yeah. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm putting, I'm putting, I'm trying to put this in the contemporary neurobiological terms, just so that we can understand sort of the way, the language that's being used in neuroscience, and sort of the way in which we need to transfer it, basically, into this universe of pathos, which was, which was studied directly, phenomenologically, by Freud. So, um, just to sort of, sort of understand that we're not sort of against the sort of the scientific abstractions, but that they need deeper phenomenological engagement and embodiment. Like, and I, I wanna, I wanna, in that sense, I wanna point to an important paradox that I see. And I have, I think a unique relationship to it because I studied at an institute which was constituted by these types of identities. So I've had a long time to observe them. Um, you'll, all of them will repeat the ideological mantra of embodied consciousness. They all will repeat this mantra. But as soon, but if you want to talk about, like, for example, what's it like to have a penis? What's it like to have a vagina? That's embodied consciousness. They do not have any time for that conversation. <laughs> or if you want to talk about the embodied consciousness of having um, a mixed sex research group and having an attractive female in the group or having an alpha male in the group. They don't wanna have those conversations. So, they, so the, the, the thing is, is that they're only comfortable with engaging in an abstract text. That's what they're comfortable with. 
So for example, you'll get like, like if you, if you go to med school, right, you'll study the body and you'll study the stomach and you'll study the genital organs. But um, you get these weird paradoxes, for example, where like um, an obese doctor is telling you how to eat well. Or, or a, or, um, or a depress some, or a doctor who suffers from depression giving you antidepressant pills, um, or, or you know, and th these paradoxes abound throughout all of the sciences. Where, like, my favorite joke in a Freudian book was something like uh, two guys at a bar, and one guy's telling the other guy, uh, "My marriage counselor is getting a divorce." You know, these types of self-referential paradoxes abound in the scientific literature because of this thing. It's because they, if you go to med school, they again, you study the image of the genital organ, but you don't, for example, ask yourself the question, what's it like to have a penis over a 24-hour period? What's it like to be with the penis? What's that, <laughs> yeah. what's that, what's that like? Yeah. Um, what's it like? What's it like to be a consciousness that got her period for the first time? What's that like? What's, what's it like for that conscious experience? What does that do to my consciousness? How does my consciousness react to such a strange phenomenon? And what, and what intellectual abstractions am I actively attached to so that I don't have to be with that uncomfortable question? So I don't have to be with that uncomfortable experience. And the more this is delayed, meaning that the older the person becomes, the, the harder it is for them to approach these questions, the easier it will be for them to deflect, uh, you know, displace, uh, defend against this. Um, so, you know, I had the funny experience of like these two very disembodied, very intellectual men having conversations in my in my in my research institute talk they can talk about anything and except except of course for these types of topics and as 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 soon as soon as i intimate that maybe sexuality and the relationship between men and women is important for to talk about all the things that are going on in our group they'll quickly say no i don't think that that that's that's that that's not that that's not important that's not important that's definitely not important yeah. No, so the, 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 degree, the degree to, so the degree, the degree to which we can both familiarize ourselves with the contemporary scientific jargon, we know what we're talking about, we've read the cognitive science, we've read the uh, biology, we, we, we know the abstract intellectual discourse, we can speak their language, but we're also deeply pathic which means that we're also capable of speaking the real of what we are and how we interact. And, and this, the reaction that you'll get, and I think the reaction that we'll get in most environments is um, a lot of blushing. Like they'll, they'll, act, they'll act like prudish Victorian women. <laughs> you know? yeah. so. Because the mind-body split is so extreme, right? Uh, you know, that, that's kind of what you're describing, right? I love, I love, I love, because I'm so comfortable talking about it. I love the way it, like, I get some really interesting joy from doing it, is like, is constantly injecting the pathic into the abstract intellectual space and seeing their look of shock and surprise. Like, oh my God. <laughs> like, 
but then, I love it. The funny thing yeah, is this. On, the like, funny thing yeah. is this, then, that 30% of the world's broadband is used for pornography. So these guys that blush when you talk to them, cattle probably go off and watch pornography and jerk off like mad for two minutes at least in the bathroom. And then they come back into the room again and pretend nothing happened. Like they can disconnect between these two realities. And mm -hmm. this is where I'm interested in pornography to study it because people are obsessed with it today because this is where they get the release from this tension that cattle is talking about here. And this brings me back to what we talked about the last time and the sort of funny approach on last time that I love. I'd love to have a t-shirt that says, you know, take, uh, let's take queer back from woke, which I think is the overall project we're actually doing here in these conversations. Uh, it brings me back to Camille Pagle who pointed out that no matter how mediocre mass culture or pop culture became after 1945 and all that, out of the 1960s came the hippies because one of the benefits of having a period that actually believes in pacifism and vegetarianism and all this shit that I usually hate is the fact that you get experimentation in that zone while you're there. So the good thing that came out of the 1960s was the sexual liberation. For most cultures, it wasn't needed. In the West, it was definitely needed. And I actually think it's gonna repeat itself even stronger in the Middle East. Because I think we're gonna see over the next few years where a lot of guys sit and jerk off in the Arab world and the girlfriends join them and watch pornography in, in, in you know, Muslim countries that the Islamic sort of response to se the sexual revolution will be even more aggressive and interesting and fascinating. But I think the great thing here was the sexual liberation that came out of the 1960s, which goes back to the religious traditions that we have in the West called Christianity and Islam, the two dominant ones, and approach to prudishness that Cattle talks about here that we still see everywhere in society today, and basically exposes it and says that, okay, if sexuality is not included within religion, it's not religion at all. It's just an infantile fantasy. This was always the problem with Christianity, which has prohibited sex period and kept it out. The same thing with Islam, prohibited sex and kept it out. Whereas Judaism, Zoroastrianism, and certainly Eastern religions just kept it in a tantric zone, including the religions and somehow dealt with it. Now, even China and India copied the West and sort of pretended to be prudish. That's exactly when you come to India and people are prudish talking about sexuality. It's simply because something they've added since the Victorian, from Victorian England or something like that. Is it like really on the surface? Because India is also full of all these sex temples and yogas that walk naked and sexuality is really very obvious in Indian society. So we need to bring sexuality back into the picture. That's one of the things we need to include when we rethink religion and spirituality. This is what I love about talking about the sexual apocalypse. Because to me, the paradigm shift that's currently going on is out of our control and it's strictly technological. We're leaving the industrial capitalist mass media controlled and driven age. We're moving into an informationalist age. It's attentionalist, not capitalist. And it dramatically changes everything. So, so it's a whole new game altogether. And those who figured that game out, the first will be the winners. We talked about it before. It's called paradigmatics. Instead of having a model that's 50 or 100 years old or 500 years old in many countries, then why don't you get a model that's updated now and into the future? What kind of society will, do we live in? And what are the rules here? So to me, the world apocalypse here is the perfectly human response to the paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. And at least in the West, that is very much a sexual apocalypse because what, what came out of the chaos at the end of the paradigm was the sexual liberation. That was the best thing we could have gotten because it held us all responsible to the fact that when we enter the internet age and everything was accessible to everybody, including our children, 
Suddenly, pornography is the thing we jump onto and consume huge amounts. And what is great with pornography, it is actually is communism already. I wonder if it's a kind of Protestantism I was thinking. No, 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 no. Pornography. No, pornography is not Protestant at all. You said it it opens up like the the barred absolute to everybody, right? So everything is available to everyone. No, no, no. There's no no, rules. No, no, it's yeah, no. I get the point, and it's a very intelligent point, but you're actually looking at the other way around. This is like, it's like everything opens up from underneath. It's much more the lesson. So what opens up, it's the grounding disappears. Mm -hmm. So if we had a religion that was based on the prohibition of sexuality, and this was the dominant mode of Christianity, hey, and we exposed that all these priests in the Catholic Church for 2,000 years were all a bunch of pedophiles, which is probably the biggest scandal ever if at least you hold people responsible to the values they claim to have. I don't know if I would care less, to be honest about it. But, you know, okay, so Christianity is falling apart. Whatever can be saved of it. Some people think they can. The Jordan Petersons and Thomas Americks of the world think they can. <laughs> I, don't, I doubt that seriously. I, I, I don't think, I think Islam and Christianity are actually a supernova stage where they seem to explode into some kind of fundamentalist desperation, just like advertising right now. The supernova before they die. Why would they die? Because they no longer hold against the fact that we now know much more than we did in the past. The truth is revealed to us all from underneath. And the problem then is to deal with this truth means that we then have to construct barred absolutes so we can deal with it. So people are, for very good reasons, desperate to get filters on their computers so the kids cannot watch endless amounts of violence and porn, which kids should not watch because they cannot handle it. It fucks them up forever. That's why Christian Republicans are right to go after Google right now, because they want their filters installed. They think their kids can watch this at their own free will at a certain age or something like that. But please, we got to get the pornography and the the outer violence out of the hands of four-year-olds, which is perfectly, yes, of course, we're human. The barred absolute for a child is to not be a grown-up yet. And then for grownups, the question is, can they handle all the free sex, all the free drugs, all the free pornography? Probably not. But now the gene is out of the bottle. That is the sexual apocalypse. And the response to that, I think, is what we call the dark renaissance. It's an artistic response to that, that Mm. it's not trying to cure us from anything. It's just a whole new, like, it's like a gold mine full of resources for art. When when art gets out of the galleries of the white walls and goes into Burning Man and participatory culture and then finds that vulgar and banal and moves to the next stage, which is what I'm dying to see. This is the art of the 2030s and the 2040s. This is where they're gonna go. They're gonna go into violence and they're gonna go into sex when all of this boom is exploding in front of us. Okay, sex and violence. I have a clarification about that, right? Uh, Because we've been talking about sex and violence and... and, um... The point, the point that our friend uh, Tom was making is that violence, uh, you know, uh, is 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 the big issue of humanity, right? And sexuality is 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 number two. And I was thinking about the, the story in the gar- in the the Genesis. It's that the whole story begins with sexual jealousy uh, in, in some way, and then after you have Cain and Abel, and after you have violence, and after you have war. So I'm wondering, you know, I'm wondering if 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 that's if that's right. I'm wondering if the first thing is actually. Uh, is actually the dark aspect is, and, and I want to question Cattle saying, "Oh no, it's no problem." I think it seems to be that sexuality is is a problem when it's when it's unleashed. Okay, can I just can I just make one yeah. pass here? 
if we go assume Byung-Chul Han's statement is correct, that the amount of violence in any given society is a constant, the amount of sexuality and sex drive in any society is a constant, and if they ever vary, it's because one of them gets higher for a while and the other one gets lower. Mm-hmm. It's just an idea. Let's see if we can play with that, see what Cattle thinks of it. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So Cattle and Raven, do you have any, any, anything coming up here? Well, I don't know if I said sex is not a problem. I think I say the opposite. <laughs> Well, if it, you said sex, you said uh, sex, if it's filtered through the ego is, is, is if, you know, becomes problematic, but in itself, it's not a, it's not a problem. I think that's. No, I'm, no, I've never said oh. that. I've never said that. That th- Thomas says that Thomas says sex is not a problem. Hmm. Sex and violence are always problematic. That's why we're like Thomas, Thomas, Thomas thinks that he can, Thomas thinks that he can, Thomas thinks that we can solve sexuality. But I don't think it's like that's that to me, that's too that to me, that's the application of an excessive linear model, like where you're thinking in problem solution all the time. Mm -hmm. You can't think about sexuality as problem solution, kind of framing it as a problem or a solution is kind of already you're kind of making a mistake. It's 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 because it's because it's kind it's. I agree with this notion, like let me engage with Bard's notion that violence and sexuality are a constant. Um, because the way I think about this is um, with the term libidinal economy or libidinal politics, because the, the, the political economic dimension is what basically is, you know, handling the violence and the, the violent tendencies of our society. And the libidinal is basically accepting that we like what, you, you know, the body politic is a libidinal body. So, so mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're dealing, you're dealing with both what, what, Thomas and I talked about last night was kind of a, I think a mostly a reconciliatory understanding that sex and violence are like a loop. And I think, and I think you have to start with sex. I think sex is first. And I think that, and and I think that sexuality then becomes a problem because it's so unequally distributed and the excitation is so enormous that you need some sort of regulatory scaffolding in order for it to make sense across time or as well, time. And, and just being more practical, you can see most of violent you know, crimes are, are, are sexually related, right? Uh, on some oh, they're level, totally to do with alcohol and sex, yeah. right? The, so the problem is this. Yeah. If you look at after 1945, and we sort of bought into this pacifist bubble because we had the luxury of the atomic bomb. To be honest about it, it wasn't that we became peaceful. It's just that the atomic bomb became, you know, this ultimate threat that if we do go to war, if there's a third world war, we go extinct. So that was an idea long before the climate threat, you know, appeared as a second threat, right? So that is clear after 1945. And then we went to this pacifist mobility, young narcissistic generation in the West in the 1960s and 1970s thought they solved all the problems of humanity and they do much better than their parents and they became like high in themselves. And then Mao came up that to China and there was a cultural revolution and complete disaster. That's what happens. Young people think they're wise. They're never wise, right? But the problem here is that if you remove violence or you suppress it, it's going to pop up in two places. It's going to pop up as either an over-sexualization of everything else, mm-hmm. which is exactly what we're seeing. And it's going to pop up inside your own brain, in your own mind. And you're going to be, it's going to be self, uh, 
we call it um, auto-exploitation. That's the term Jung Chulhan is using correctly. Mm -hmm. That means we're now suffering from massive psychiatric Depression, disorder. Depression, psychi Because uh, we don't know where violence has occurred. If violence is still around, it's now inside our own head. This is Michel Foucault, which brings us back to taking queer back from woke. The grandfather of queer is Michel Foucault. He's a fucking genius. And what Foucault pointed out was that he saw that if we don't deal with madness, and not the madness in the mental institutions, because that's not mad at all. This is shamanism. The madness of power power itself, thinking that it's in control and in charge of things. If you don't start dealing with that, it's going to explode in our faces sooner or later, because what this power will do in its hysteria is that it will force the violence inside our own minds. And he pointed out Sweden, where I live, as the first country where this was likely to happen. And he said, you will not need policemen in the streets because the policemen will be inside of your fucking mind as your ultimate superego. Yeah. This is where Slava Shishik, Michel Foucault, mm -hmm. all these guys agree strongly. Adrian Johnson, we agree strongly. Byung Shul Han. The, the, the current critique of the state we're in, in the sexual apocalypse and the paradigm shift right now, is that we see massive psychiatric disorders. I know the male version of it. It's called bipolarity. It's a pandemic now. Okay, yeah. I'm, glad, I'm, glad, I'm happy to hear Raven's version of what's happening on the female side, because I'm sure the eating disorders and, and the, the burnouts at the 30s, 40s are exactly signals of this. But the obvious place to look for is not the over-sexualization, because we can't go back to more violence right now and have more war. It's rather <laughs> look at the other way around. That to me is the sexualized spaces that we force men and women to be in constantly all the time. Because that is, the, that is the one that starts these eating disorders and these bipolarity disorders and all that, is that men and women are together all the time. Meaning women have to be dressed up, walk in high heels and wear tons of makeup and do Botox all the time, 24 hours a day. Yeah. So this, this, this ex extreme internalization of violence has become every kind of sexual pathology. You can imagine rather than having a, like a more... Um, Natural or, or well, that's this word, is the sexual apocalypse. Sexual. It's happening yeah, in our everyday lives. Yeah. When you go to work on a Tuesday and you put on your makeup, your high heeled shoes, or as a guy, you feel totally inferior because you're going to be in the room with women around. So you can't talk to men in a natural way because men can't. A beautiful woman like Raven enters the room and they go, wow, and they start to impress her. And they, you can't talk to them any longer. They're blinded by her beauty. Now, yeah. We've never had a culture like that before ever. We never had a culture where men and women work together 24 hours a day. Who came up with that idea? Well, the hippies in the 1960s. That was the bad side of the sexual liber liberation that we can't deal with. It's deeply inhumane. Okay, let's hear from Raven a little bit about, about, you know, about women. And also I want Raven to, maybe we can make a bit of a segue into speaking about art. Because I was listening to 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 Raven speak about you know uh, you know the body and mythopoetics and, and that kind of thing on on uh, on the on uh, the techno social podcast. And oh, I, yeah. thought, I thought you had a lot of cool things to say about uh, about that as well. So so um, yeah, just uh, just just how you're how you're digesting this, and then and then and then what do you think the the function of art um, in the like sexual apocalypse and uh, would you know and how does that work? Yeah, I mean, I think like my, what was, my, you know, the bipolarity with men kind of as being this this way of pointing to the effects of the sexual apocalypse within within their sex. Yeah. Uh, I think with women, uh, we're seeing a lot of different things. I mean, for teenage girls, for example, there's an increase in in suicide in big increase self mutilation. Yeah. Like yeah. even eleven year olds, like they literally didn't have any like statistics for this until very recently and it's going up, right? And then we also have the kind of the, the mimetic contagion of trans, 
So there's also a lot of girls who are going through puberty and basically decide that they, you know, they don't want to be a woman <laughs> and they want to go through some sort of intervention process to prevent their secondary sex char characteristic from emerging. Um, and this is way beyond the normal amount of trans that we would imagine to see in this population. So kind of considering this as being connected to this, this apocalypse of, of, of women kind of coming into their bodies as teenagers. Uh, then we're also seeing uh, women, you know, postponing having children. I think that this relates a lot to uh, one of the things Bart was saying the other day about uh, women are not being seduced into having children anymore. Instead, they're deciding to do other things. Um, and basically waking up when they're 40 and realizing, oh my God, what have I done? Uh, and then going through intense fertility treatments so that they can have babies. And this is a huge industry. This is a massive industry that is continuing to grow. And it's really hitting this group of career women who are now in their 40s, who have finally realized that like, oh, this career is hollow and I wanna have a child. And they have to intervene very intensively in their bodies in order to ensure that they can go through their first pregnancy, you know, even conceive and then actually bring the baby to term and make sure that it's healthy and actually viable. And then they only end up with one child and that ends up causing the coddling, devouring mother situation with the baby. So you have these kind of like looping things going on within within motherhood and within women kind of coming into their uh their womanhood and not knowing how to wield that as a power uh not knowing how to understand themselves as women among men uh and knowing exactly what it is that a woman can bring to a like let's say heterosocial environment the fact that everyone's just pretending like women and men are essentially the same and it's just that i have like a woman's suit on and you have a man's suit on and we're just repressing all of these underlying tensions that exist between men and women in these environments, I think is like, it's just absurd. I mean, it's just absurd on some level. It's like living in a delusion. Um, and you would imagine that that would ricochet. Uh, so, those are, so those are some symptoms or effects that I have seen. And oh, your other question was about art. Does anyone yeah, want to respond to those things? Yeah, I wanted like I wanted to. We've talked a little bit, you know, about uh, you know society and uh, the social conditions right now. We've, but but um, I, I know that you know often the the way to express you know Cadell was saying that we can't really speak about uh, 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 you know a lot of guys can't and people can't really speak about their dicks and pussies and. We can't talk about it. It's it's too, uh, you know. So we become very hyper abstract and in the mind and 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 that, and that kind of thing. And uh, for, for me, the way to speak about pathos, right, is is through art. And so so and and also, I think I think there has to be a, a feminine uh, element to art. Always like there's always a dance between the the male and the female when it comes to this creation of art, whether it's uh, on on some level, even if it. Anyway, I, I just wanted to hear your, your views about that. Sure. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, I think that there's definitely a tradition within art, a trope of the muse, of the female muse. Obviously, Camille Paglia does a lot of amazing work in just unearthing the kind of history of pornography in Western art and like the just the 
creation of the idea of beauty around the female body and also the the construction of the androgen i think the you also have to bring in the androgen if you're going to talk about art uh like i think that that's actually one of the actually more primary figures even than man or woman uh you because you end up kind of in this repeating pattern where whether or not you're you know writing as a woman or a man or constructing art as a woman or a man there tends to be this like creation of figures that end up synthesizing male and female characteristics and those are the things that seem to capture the imagination um and at least that's what Camille Paglia kind of puts forward in, in her text so I think that that's actually goes back to this original idea of like stealing queer from quote like what is this 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 particular mm. character um the one that goes between and that actually being the, the necessary kind of archetype to be contemplating because what is going on well we have this strange tension going on between the sexes uh there's a disembodiment on both sides i think women uh are kind of expected or understood to already be embodied so it seems like there shouldn't be any problem for them and yet there is and men are fumbling around trying to find the women to deliver to and they can't find them and the women don't know how to risk give reward you know, in a way that actually generates a better functioning community and society. And nobody knows how to take responsibility for their power, their sexual power and their relation. And so we need the androgen uh, to come in and kind of do this, this, this work between, rather than wanting for men and women to like, want to aspire to be this character, but actually to learn from what this character can show them about the other. So I think that um, that's kind of what, I would imagine seeing is the this this go-between character and it's so weird because it's been literally brought into the culture with non-binary or like with fans or like people are like we want this we want this character to synthesize these differences and to teach us how to live with sexual difference and yet the way that it's been interpreted is just so literal so much about like well i have to put on my man suit or i have to put on my woman suit and this is the point entirely about how to live with tension and with sexual difference, but that may have its roots in individualism, and and like what Bard would say, Gnosticism, because it's kind of literalism that, too, isn't it? I, yeah, exactly. Rather than working with metaphor and and sublimating things, and well, but we live in a society where if anybody sees anything, they think it's a fucking product that they're gonna buy and become. So this is what happens at apocalypse. When the apocalypse happens, you call in the shamans. And just for once, you, know, you need the shamans. And this is why the word queer is so central. I agree completely with Alexa Vartman here, that we need to retake the word queer and get it off from woke. I, I hate it. The more I think about it, the more I hate that the word queer was stolen by the woke guys. Because queer should now be heroic and not a victimhood cult at all. When we say woke, we mean you turn queer into victimhood cult, like poor old me, I'm a tranny or whatever, and I need uh, all these tons of attention and tons of money to do my gender uh, modification or whatever. No, that's not the point. You call, heroic the shamans, again, right? you call in the shamans and the shamans come in with the heroic. They're always in the heroic because they're totally experimental and wildly crazy and they're risk-taking and they don't care if they live or die. That's essentially what shamans are and androgynous are compared to men and women because the, the androgynous here, the map is that the androgynous are between men and women and the shamans are outside of all, the whole system. That's why shamans and androgynous are like cousins here that we need to talk about them. And Camille Pagla would agree. So the shamanoid and the androgynous together are called the queer. We call them queer from now on. We define them as queer people, okay? So what the queer do when the apocalypse happens, the only people who can see these are the, the queer. And they come in and say two things. The first thing they tell you is you're out of sync. 
You're out of sync with your own fucking social biology. You're inhumane to yourselves. Okay, the Second World War and the First World War killed 100 million, mostly men. Okay, the earth was scorched and destroyed. Uh, you left it with a lot of women without men who looked to, don't know where to look, and their children, and there were no men around. So Phallus was gone. Phallus was gone brutally after 1945. And then we tried to create it. We got the pseudo fallacies from commercialism and capitalism thrown into the picture, the nuclear family. We took 10 years to tear that apart. That was just a ridiculous idea. Again, commercial products, commercial products. This is your lifestyle. It's just a product. Lifestyle magazines. My God, that's just horrible and boring, right? So what happened was that at least out of the 1960s and 1970s, we got that, okay, we cannot go back to the Christianity or the Islam for that matter that led us into the world wars that we have and lead, lead us into new wars over again. We got to reinvent religion. We got to reinvent spirituality. And the first thing the shame is telling us, listen, you're just regular human beings. You're regular men and women. Can you just be nice to yourself? Can you realize that when you're 15 years old, certain things happen to you in your process, in your body? When you're 25, certain things happen to you. At 40, certain things happen to you. And by God, you live until you're 80 and 100, suddenly all of a sudden. That leaves maybe after 60 years old, a certain period for experimentation. But please don't do it before you hit the golf course, right? Because before that, until you leave the reproduction cycle, you are very, very much tied to your biology. This is where Camille Pog and I agree strongly. You're tied to biology. And if you try to escape your biology, you've, you're fucked up and society gets fucked up very easily. And that's where we are now. It's all screwed. Women don't give birth any longer between 20 and 30. They try to give birth in fucking clinics when they're 45. Who came up with that idea? Gender, well, if you're gonna change your gender, it's a cosmetic procedure. Any good tranny knows that. You can fix the tits and everything. But inside of that, there's a tons of biology you cannot even change at all. You know, And that's why it, I honor them when they say they're a third gender. They should be allowed to be third gender because they're not moving from man to woman or back. These are forces we could, we're not even close to, 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 to understand or, or to try to direct in, our, in any way we like. So we need to get back to some kind of nature. And what I'm saying is that what the shamans then would say is that that's precisely why women are being attacked directly on the body. The current attack is on the female body, eating disorders, burnouts, everything. As soon as a woman is older than 22, she's no longer sexually attracted. That's what she's told these days. She tries to stay 22 until she's in what, 50, right? Hollywood wives and everything. Men attacked on their minds. Men feel mentally inferior everywhere you go. They feel they cannot live up to the sudden shamanic ideal they're supposed to live up to being bright and experimental and risk-taking and everything. Well, they cannot be all Elon Musk. They cannot be all us or whatever. That's just cruel. Let, 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 me, let, me, jump, let me jump in here because I have a, a few things to say. So it's kind of in response to both what Bard and Raven were saying. And, and I want to give my own perspective on what I see among the men and women of my generation. For the men, so Bard saying the men are being attacked on their minds and, and women are being attacked on their bodies. <clears throat> and Raven saying that, you know, men don't know how to deliver to women and women don't know how to give reward to men. So what I've seen is the men in my generations are, they're mentally ashamed of being men. They feel guilty that they're men. They won't, they won't frame it like that. They won't say that, but that's how they talk and that's how they act. Um, I know some men who are very close to me who, if I, for example, let me give a ridiculous example. This will make you guys laugh. 
I know so many men who are close to me where if I told them, if we were at a coffee shop and they saw a cute girl at the coffee shop and I said, why don't you go say hi? They would say, no, that would be toxic masculinity. So they're literally afraid. They, they literally see their own presence. They literally see their own self. They literally see their own speech as an a priori intrusion and an ontological mistake. They see themselves as wrong at, for being what they are. And then on the women's side, I see what I see is women modeling their power on a man's model and they only can see their power from the perspective of a male dominance hierarchy and they at the same time they're tr at the same time they're trying to whatever it is become a lawyer become a professor become a doctor become a whatever it is they think is the where the power is they're simultaneously doing endless amounts of cosmetic procedures on themselves to look 20. And this is operating in this contradiction in their heads simultaneously. And then for the, for the men who are ashamed of being men, they basically are undergoing self castration processes. And the, the, the consequent, the consequences of this is just that we, we don't we, we we don't know how to have children we don't know how to have long-term relationship we don't know how to do any of these things so it's 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 a nightmare and and no one is talk and no one is talking about it and i think that the interesting form of repression that you see here because the interest here's an interest it's it's kind of a paradoxical notion of repression because in both, especially it's present in Lacan, but repression also operates as a surface phenomenon, not just in the depths. It's also on the surface. So for example, what do we see in art with this repression? You see the most popular song in the United States in the last few weeks has been WAP, Wet Ass Pussy. The most, the most popular song in the United States is Wet Ass Pussy. That, that is basically art forcing itself upon our minds to say, you have a wet ass pussy. You have a lot of power. That's where your power is. You've got to think about this, you know? And at the same time, where is the repression on the male side? Look at the, there's a lot of articles now that in the last decade, Hip hop has become the most dominant art form in the United States. It's overtaken rock. The phallus of rock has been replaced with the phallus of hip hop. And what is hip hop? Hip hop is this overly aggressive male energy. It's an overly aggressive tribal gang energy. So it's basically art is art is forcing itself onto the mind saying you are men and women you have to think about being men and women. And if you don't think about it, we're just gonna become more, we're gonna force the aggression of the sexual difference on you even more and more and more until you talk about it and you grow up and you mature. 
I'm not sure if I agree if it's overly aggressive because I think art needs to be aggressive in, in some ways and it needs to be a, have be a maximum of expression of something it, it, rather than something sort of refined or- Let me quickly say, because I, I know a lot about hip hop, is that if you take the paradigmatic figures of hip hop, they are extreme caricatures of masculinity. They're not like they're they're they're, ex, they're like it's like the lyric. The, I mean, the lyrics are like explicitly just about killing and fucking. In a lot of the biggest hip hop artists, and especially the ones I grew up on, I mean, it was this extremely violent, extremely sexual music, which is extremely attractive. Yeah. And then everybody's acting kind of soft and, you know, at the same time, like there's a, there's a contradiction between the culture and that expression, perhaps. I don't know. Well, that, that's why art is pathic. So this is the pathic narrative that comes back to haunt us when we're stuck between logos and mythos. My criticism of the contemporary sort of critique, for example, Jordan Peterson, is that it gets stuck between logos and mythos. The guys who have been stuck between logos and mythos have really nothing new to say. They become banal moralists to say, get up in the morning and make your bed and everything be solved. No, it will not. They ignore pathos. That's why Jordan Peters was much more interested in the beginning when he was doing his Nietzsche lectures in Toronto before he became a public figure and become sort of a banal logos versus mythos figure. I think we all defend pathos here. And we don't want Adolf Hitler's version of pathos. We don't want the sort of boy pharaohs, sort of vulgar Peter Pan or, 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 or pillar saint version of pathos. What we want is the proper one. So this is why I talk about pornography. Cavill talks about hip hop. Okay, where does hip hop get its inspiration from? Pornography more than anything. And usually these days, what's ironic is that it's the white guys who make the careers in pornography and inspire the black guys to make the music. Because hip hop today is the soundtrack of pornography. That's why Camille Pagla was prophetic when she celebrated the pathical narrative 30 years ago and said it's gonna come back to haunt us because it's gonna look like a moving to this sort of Victorian age of prudishness and petit bourgeois nervousness, which is exactly what woke culture is. And then coming back from underneath, boom, and exploding from underneath of it would be pathical art. And pathical art is exactly where this goes. There's a lot of bland commercialized hip hop, Drake and whatever, that's what your mom listens to. But what, what, what Catalyst is discussing here, it's number one right now in America is precisely the opposite. And this is just a censored version available to the public because the other version of it, and this, this is the thing with hip hop is you can have the explicit lyrics version of it. It's exactly the soundtrack, the pornography that I'm talking about. Mm. This is why it's a sexual apocalypse. It's openly sexual. And next to it is also an apocalypse of violence. And that's gonna be even harder to contain. And the only thing we got that we don't have this experience in the West at all. This is what Thomas Amarik and I agree, and you and Andrew have talked about it too previously. We have no idea how to contain violence. The way you contain violence here in the West is basically martial arts at best and maybe a football stadium and you think you somehow contain it. That's not enough. You need much bigger, stronger containers. You need religion. You contain it no. at all. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to have religion wars between Christians and, Islam and Muslims as the last sort of super phenomena, like when Christianity and Islam are dying and, and the Middle East is secularized or whatever. 
the last thing that's going to happen is sort of a pagan thing coming up from underneath within Christianity and Islam because they're weak religions. It will explode through both of them. We could have religious wars because of it. Pseudo wars, it doesn't matter. The 30 years war in Europe that tore Europe apart and killed 30 million people was a pseudo war too. Wars, unfortunately, don't have much of intelligence to them. They don't listen to theories before they go to war. They just go to war to have an expression for desire and suppression of violence that needs to get out somewhere. And okay. either so, so what do we do? What are... total over-sexualization, or somehow we need to contain the violence and let it out somewhere. And this is also female and masculine. The masculine version is open aggression. The female version is what woke comes up today. It's passive aggression, which is yeah. exactly what woke culture is. It's female passive aggression, <clears throat> bitterness all the time. So and what the fuck do we do with all this aggression? I mean, we're. I mean, I have a lot of aggression just sitting in front of a Zoom camera all day long. Um, uh, you know, it just comes out and I, I feel like attacking somebody. But 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 I'm living in a site, you know, a, you know, a civilized society. How old are you, Andrew? I'm almost 50. Yeah. If you have that at 50, can you imagine what it's like to be 23 year old today? Do you know what the 23 year olds do? They either are openly aggressive or tell them to go to martial arts and learn to hunt because I live in Sweden, which is the Canada of Europe. Go out in nature and hunt and shoot stuff and kill things because you yeah. need to get some outlet. But if you're 23 and you're calm and quiet and you're a guy, you hate Terrible. yourself. You hate yourself. That's yeah. where the violence ends up, inside here, attacking you constantly. We cannot ignore these forces. That's why we need to go back to Foucault and then Pagla and teach fucking Pagla she was wrong about Foucault. She's fucking Foucault's daughter. The line from Foucault to Pagla is the only thing we have towards what I would call the Western Tantra. Bo boy, did she ever hate Foucault. Foucault. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's wrong on Foucault. She's, yeah. she's his daughter. That's her only mistake. It's not to see where she came from. Okay, so in male aggression, we go. I'm, I keep bringing it back to Raven because because guys are, tend to express their male aggression through you know shouting on on Zoom these days. Um, so you know if 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 the solution for that is like go out in nature and 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 you know you know hunt and and you know do 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 really physical things. What's how do we help women? Like what's the, with 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 this internal aggression with this this Instagram culture which is is causing such an enormous amount of you know, pain and, you know, huge suicide rates going up like this for women, especially like, what do we do with that? Like, what's, what's the solution that again, we're still talking about the sexual apocalypse here, I think, but what is a solution or what is, solutions? I don't like the word solution, but how can we help women uh, with this sexual apocalypse that we're talking of? Yeah. Well, I think maybe a way of getting at what, like that, that, rejection of the idea of solution it, this is so much more about like wielding like a, a power or an energy or a force right and it's like just like having long-term relationships is a skill set you know just like having the ability to bring forth children and bring in the future is a set of skills like you could literally spend your entire life perfecting your capacity to to do all of the things that women traditionally would have been doing right like raising children is a, is a huge undertaking. Understanding how birth works and how to lead women through the process of pregnancy and birth is huge. Figuring out who should marry whom, you know, what families should be unifying their power and their, and their, their lineages together. Like all of that is like an insane amount of wisdom that I think yeah. women have uh, in, the, in the matriarchy. That was just something that women were doing. Can I, can and, I make one just little inter, interjection yeah, here? I, I remember Ivan Illich saying that women have the power of gossip. 
And that that's that, a sacred yes. power, actually. And like we yes. don't normally think of that always as a negative kind of kind of thing. So anyway. Yeah, no, it, gossip's actually is very interesting because I think that that is this force that kind of like spreads through the intergenerational relationships between women and keeps them kind of in check and in, in keeps, keeps their eyes kind of in all of the different crevices of relationships that are happening within the group. And it kind of keeps everybody held, you know, up yeah. in this like position of tension. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it, it's, it's a complex situation because on some level, I don't really know, I don't know what women should do en masse, like in order to learn how to wield their, their power. I think for some women, uh, they're, re they're actually reaching to pornography. They're actually opening up an OnlyFans. They're actually beginning to produce uh, you know, content online. And I think a lot of that is just an exploration of female sexuality in, in, in this vein of how we've been speaking about it, which is like giving of the reward. Right, so women love to expose themselves, like to expose their breasts, to expose their butts, to expose these like beautiful parts of their bodies for men, for some sort of abstract audience. I mean, they're not even seeing the men, like it's just a like, you know? Um, but I think the act, and there's a huge amount of like, um, you know, uh, like titty drop at work or like all these transgressive, you know, places where women want to reveal their bodies to some sort of audience some withdrawn voyeur who she knows is watching her. So there's all of this like ways in which I think women are actually trying to kind of figure out their sexuality, figure out what gets them turned on, what gets them inside of their bodies and also generating a kind of power around that. But it, it has been basically quartered off in our society to pornography and to the public. So this is also about public exposure. So mm. it's, that's an interesting trend to me. It's also definitely increasing, like especially with the pandemic, like so many more women are now on OnlyFans. So what does that mean? What does that mean that like, first of all, women are now whoring themselves just at work. You know, they're just like all whores. Like everybody's a prostitute. Everybody's going to work. Everybody's selling themselves for money. So now we just have women who are like going directly to the source, which is basically just selling sex for money. And, you know, what is what does that phenomenon do, I think, in terms of its tension with motherhood and also with stigma around women being prostitutes? So there are issues with women who have done porn or been involved in, in this, this like emerging culture finding men that want to be with them and want to have, you know, cause there's, there's, there's you know, moms got porn on the internet, you know, like people don't want to do that. People don't want to date a porn star. And so it's like interesting historical precedent for this as well. Like the, the, the prostitutes were able to walk into the world of men and engage with the men, hang out with them, with them. They were like respected and, and understood as having this kind of special power Maybe we would also consider them to be kind of shaman or uh, queer in that sense. Yeah, like the geishas or. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the, the moms, like, they were at home. Like, they weren't allowed to come to hang out with the men and, like, you know, the men would sit around and talk about politics or whatever. And, the, you know, the, poor, the prostitutes would be around and they would get to engage, you know, in that world. But there was this division, right? So the prostitutes had their role and the mothers had their role and the men 
we're interacting with these two different kinds of people. And I think that now all of this stuff is getting, like women are getting into pornography, but they also want to have babies or they want to have normal relationships. And yet men are not, you know, they don't know how to deal with this, like, because men are like, you know, they're like, well, but wait, you're not supposed to be there. You're supposed to be there. <laughs> and like, how do I deal with the fact that these things have been conflated? So, and I think this actually is a meta point in terms of women being these like kind of more classically mercurial people who have all of these like blending characteristics to how they shape and form their identities. And uh, they can kind of, we can kind of move between roles and there's a singularity in the role of the woman, the woman as the sister, as the, the daughter, as the mother, you know, as the lover, you know, all of these things kind of coming together in the form of the woman and her ability to kind of emphasize and relate to others in a myriad of ways. And of course, with the sexual revolution, we see these roles becoming even more centralized right like and Paglia talks about this all the time in sexual persona the incest of romanticism you end up with these woman sister lovers and you know you're like okay so in your head like why is this darkness emerging where we see this return to this kind of um regressive state where people want to unify like men and women want to unify as these like twins in the womb and so I don't know. That was all just like a well, mapping hey, of the situation. I have just <laughs> one comment is is that it's a, it seems that you gave me some insight into why traditionalism is coming back, right? Because the sexual apocalypse is this extreme fragmentation of roles and everything kind of falling apart in that sense. And then people are going to be desperately searching for 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 new for for the you know the primordial roles or the archetypal no no roles. but wait 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 it's not we don't have a tradition like that at all we just have christianity in two thousand years of christianity we have we don't have a tradition to refer to unless you go ten thousand years back what i love about ray's presentation this gives me great hope exactly what women should do post instagram exactly what she's talking about maybe she's talking about shamanic women who do it already and they're sort of head of the curve this is what women should do why okay say you work as a psychoanalyst in a psychiatric care unit so I work with psychiatry, although I'm a psychoanalyst. That means somebody comes in through the door in the early 20s and they're in a crisis. The number one thing to think about if he's a young man is you probably want to send him out into nature because he's supposed to be nature and culture. So you want to send him out into nature. So he's grounded somewhere. So you give him you know, some pins and here's a tent and an older man, preferably of his own archetype. Somebody similar to him who's just older and has succeeded in life and say, you're going to cross a mountain, be out in nature and learn how to hunt and become a man that way. That's what you do. And if he's grounded in that, he might even move to the countryside and become rural because men are essentially rural, but women are not. If you look at tribal structures and how women live, the, 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 the square at the center of the village is completely female. It's a matriarchy, right? This is where gossip comes into the picture. I use yeah. the word intrigue instead because I think it's sexier. Intrigue is just a smaller, tighter strategy. Strategy is just intrigue with testosterone. Men think strategy. That's why straight guy is lost inside intrigue. The gay guys and the women will just pull him down and kill him. He won't survive in that environment. Straight guys cannot handle intrigue and gossip. So the urban That's environment true. today <laughs> is exactly gossipy and intriguish. So it loves, it's perfect for women. That means if I get a young woman who's in the early 20s, the good news I can give her, if you survived your teenage years, considering all the pressure you get from other girls your own age in the teenage years, you're okay. 
what? Yeah, you're okay. We're just going to avoid you being burned out when you're 35. So the first lesson I give the girl is that I introduce her to a gay guy and a woman. And I take her out and I said, I'll leave her with that. I'd say the gay guy and the woman are your best friends. They're going to take you out to a bar on a Friday night and teach you how to drink a glass of white wine and go along with the gossip and write on it. Because otherwise you won't survive. You will not be a girl that the matriarch will appoint to be fucked at the, at the ritual or anything. You'll, you'll be outside of the system. So I think what Raven is describing here is incredibly interesting. Because if women are discovering that Instagram was just an empty asshole of just cat babies, cats and baby pictures. And at the end of the day, it was just time pass. Like the guys discovered the computer games, which is the loneliest thing they ever did, and the ultimate cruelty towards manhood. The women are discovering that Instagram was where they were trapped in something that meant nothing. Mediocre cat and baby pictures, nothing else. Horrible, eight hours a day, get out. So women then have to redefine it. So sit down at the table with other women, take the glass of white wine, and there are 10 women and a couple of gay guys, just like we have the lesbians with as we go hunting. And, and that environment, which is female androgynous, therefore creative, will then create the possibility for women to start experimenting with their female energy. And they got two great assets, two enormous assets. They're the Saudi Arabians of sexuality because mm -hmm. men die to be close to them, even if they don't even get to fuck them, just to talk to them. And they're sitting on the reproduction cycle, meaning that men don't have a heritage and no future unless they have babies with these women. That means women ultimately have the ultimate power here. And if women start realizing that and start to play around with that and slowly, gradually go back to the social biology and be nice to themselves and say, yeah, I am both the madam and the whore at the same time. Not, not, you know, not, not, no Madonna's here. Madam whore at the same time. I'm the wife and the lover at the same time. I can play with these things. And I can find maybe another sister who's older than me, and she could be the wife, and I could be the lover, and we can together go to the man and say, we're going to take all your money and all your resources and everything, and you're going to give it to us, and we'll give you a tiny baby that will inherit your empire. You know, that, that, is, that is the beauty of female power. It could be there. Yeah. It could potentially be there. Uh, there's something kind of repulsive about a lot of men being involved in intrigue and gossip. Whereas it seems to be the, uh, what you're saying, it's the realm of the andro androgen and, and, and the woman. And that kind of makes sense to me. Honestly. I love intrigue and gossip and I always defend it. This one, I'm very yeah. strict about saying I neutrally use the terms intrigue and strategy. Strategy, yeah. Okay, strategy is just intrigue blown up where the nodes are further away from each other and state men can think that way and lesbians can understand it. That's why strategy is what you do at warfare. It is what you do at hunting. That means men need to be in, within that realm. That means martial arts and a football stadium, everywhere you find tons of men who get the game. Strategy. And win, it's strategy. That, that's the, that, when, when the men are fascinated with the chief chain to watch a porn star or a hip hop star bragging about his dick. When they're fascinated with the priest, they go to see these games. And it's not the two combatants they're actually looking at in the martial arts game. They're looking at the referee. The referee is the priest. And how he controls the strategy is what men get fascinated with. That is, that is masculinity. Masculinity, how to contain your masculine energy within the game that is called war or hunting. Fundamentally so, masculine. So men do strategy and women do intrigue. Yes, and women do that beautifully. That's why I warn guys. Listen guys, if you live alone as a young man today in a big city, you're a loser right there. Get a couple of friends and live with some others until you find the right woman and marry her and maybe move out into the suburbs. It's the men who want to get out into the suburbs where they can get a property 
and hopefully have a woman inside the property who wants to stay there for a few years and have children with her. That, that's the male sexual fantasy. The ultimate fantasy is that property and a woman and, 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 and they're, they're in a the house and there are trees around, it's Savannah, and you have a neighbor and you go out with him and, and you go to the football game with him. That's a male fantasy. They want to get, that's why men want to get out into the suburbs. It's a very masculine world because the, the modern urban world is a gay man's and a girl's world. And it's a world where straight men are completely fucked up. They don't get it. Study Shakespeare, Dostoevsky, all these guys who did great pathical drama did this. Mm -hmm. Is that what, sounds good to me. Do you have any new, think to nuance, uh, uh, Cadell, on, on Alexander's point or any, any nuances you wanna you know, add to that or, or, or agreements or disagreements? Well, yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot to, there's a lot to comment on. I think um, what I want to focus on is the, something both Bard and Raven are talking about, which is basically the Madonna whore complex. Um, this was like, you know, it's been known for a long time. It was sort of recognized by Freud as this sort of weird complex structure that operates in men's minds and also women's minds, but obviously in different ways. Um, and we have to learn how you know to to live with to live with tension to live with paradox to live outside of this problem solution way of thinking is to hold both at the same time you're both at the same time it, women can be whores and madonnas or whores and mothers if you want to use those words at, at, at the exact same time. And I think that one of the crucial revolutionary sort of modes of thinking that I think I want to, well, I'm calling it that, that I want to introduce here is um, that to really think through the pathic the way we are is the necessary precondition to actually think communist theory. Um, we need to think a communist theory, which is embedded in the pathic. It's one of the it's one of the reasons why there are so many theorists who try to become Freudo Marxist, Marxist, because you want to combine the sexual pathic energy with the communitarian thinking, because you can't actually build a community unless you're thinking in a pathic way, because you build community with pathic energy and its and its various sublimations, and I think that. One of the things that you get with pathic thinking is the ability to hold paradox because it's just a constant with no, it, it's exactly like what Raven's saying when you're saying it's a power you wield more than a problem you solve. Um, and that's, that's, one of, that's one of the key elements. And I think that one of the sort of symptoms of our inability to do this are things like OnlyFans, but also don't forget like the epidemic of sugar babies. There's an epidemic of sugar babies. 30%, 30% of university women in Canada and Australia are becoming sugar babies. Where they're, where they're, they're, yeah, and Bard, that's perfect for Bard. You get, you get like the 60 year old, you, know, you get the 60 year old guy with a million dollars. He can just line up the sugar babies, right? Like it's just, it's just like, right? so that, that's, that's, that's great. But like, you know, it, these are so. Th this is th these are examples of the is the repressed symptoms on the surface, because again, because you can't get rid of the pathic energy if you don't pay attention to it. It will emerge in these very strange explosions of absurdity. Um, 
and and the absurdity will just keep on popping out at you in strange ways whether it's in the music whether it's the pornography whether it's in the online media whether it's in the instagram whether it's in the wherever it is it's going to just be the it's going to be omnipresent to the point where you can't help but talk about it cuz you ha- you have to and i and and and, and i don't know what the solution is for the straight guy other than to form brotherhoods. And I think like, this is why it leads me to the, the steps towards communism or a t- type of communist way is women need to be in a network with women. Men need to be in a network with men. And we need to have, which is basically the desexualized spaces movement. And then you need to have, like Bart says, these go-betweens. And, you know, the funny thing for me in my life is my best friend is a lesbian woman who's kind of like my, my closest guy friend. You know, so like it's, it's so natural for me to ha- like it was so natural for me to sort of have this. I already have this go-between. You know, it was just sort of naturally happened. My best friend is a lesbian who's kind of like a, like a guy. And that happened where? That happened in the most urban city in Canada. So it, it was, it, you know, and I, and I think, and the weird thing also is like my sister and like a lot of girls I know, they're dying to have a gay guy friend. Oh, yeah. they, love, they love having gay guy friends. There's nothing a woman loves more than having a gay guy friend. I think that, I think that straight men, I would like, my plight is more for the straight men is that the straight men need to know. Can, can, can I just add one thing here to save Foucault? Foucault pointed out in his last interview in 1982 where he refused to become gay. And he said, gay's a big mistake because he did not believe in the American fantasy of the gay ghetto. Mm, yeah. He's pointing out exactly that right now. I just want to yeah. point out. Yes. Yeah, so I, yeah. So I think that I, and I've, and I've, got, I've, got, a, I've got a gay guy friend who would agree with that deeply. Um, but um, I just want to end by saying what I think is a really underutilized um, phenomena for straight guys in the urban city is the lesbian masculine figure and i think that the reason why it's underutilized is because um the lesbians don't go out enough like one of the problems one of the problems in toronto is that the gay district is dominated by the gay guys there's no shortage of gay guys and gay gay nightclubs and gay all that but the lesbians they had one bar they had one bar and it and it was empty. Is that like they have this? They're going to be in the military, or they're going to be in. Like, I, I think no, 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 no. The lesbians need to make alliances with the straight guys. In the academic yeah, world, yeah, they or... do that. The lesbians were the ones who started leaving the cities long before the corona happened. Lesbians already live in the countryside as happy couples, isolated from the rest of humanity, and they don't care shit. You're describing about, my, my mother. They don't mom. care shit about the trap that Instagram straight women and gay guys and straight guys are stuck within the city. They left. Okay, I live in a lesbian relationship. I'm a lesbian with a built-in dildo. My girlfriend is a lesbian. She lost me for it, right? So she moved to Tornadal, which is like east of Lapland, the north. And she's just isolated herself. She writes books and does anthropology. She just knew Urban was over. She knew it. Like, like, like the sort of masculine energy in her just knew that before men realized this, I'm going to get out because I'm a woman and I get out. 
that's why lesbians and gay guys really run the hospices of the world. So any of these meeting spots, any of these places you find along the trade routes where people meet are run by gay guys, especially by lesbians. It, 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 and what I want to point out, though, to go back, I, I agree with everything you said, Carol. But what I want to point out, though, is that I think the dichotomy here bet between the Madonna and the whore that Freud points out is because Freud hasn't gone deep enough. Because when we constantly return to dichotomy, it's not necessarily that it's a dialectical fruitful creative. It might be just be two different people we are talking about. And this one I bring in a matriarch that I studied deeply when I started studying matriarchy, brothel madams. Margaret Thatcher was a fucking brothel madam. She tried to save the empire before it fell apart. She was Churchill's daughter. And if Churchill won the Second World War, bless him, because he was brave enough to do it, then she just defended the Falkland Islands just to remind the British that Churchill had done that before her 30 years prior to it. So. The matriarchs here, the brothel madam here. The brothel madam is the third person. Like, like always when you talk about woman and man and nuclear family and marriage and weddings, I say, well, why do a man and a woman go to see priest in the first place to get married? Because there needs to be a third element to unite them. It's the same thing with the Madonna and whore complex. We cannot even discuss the Madonna whore duality that men project onto women before we start talking about different women, the matriarch. So, you learn this historically when you go with your father to the whorehouse and your father generously offers his favorite whore to you and she smiles at you and she's 40 years old because your dad is 50 and you get to fuck a 40 year old woman and you're 18. But that's what you do. If you're historically speaking, you go to the matriarch first. She's the brothel madam and she allows your tiny little teenage penis to sling, you know, get inside her vagina and she loves you for it because you get to fuck. You get to fuck your mom, you know, you get, you get to fuck the older woman. And she enjoys it, by the way. That's exactly why women get a massive peak in the sexuality between 40 and 45, because they're supposed to fuck young men. And they do on Tinder these days. The great thing about Tinder is expose these pathical drives. Tinder's main mark is 25-year-old guys fucking 40-year-old women. Bless them. I love it. I think it's great. Because that's, the, that's how you discover your male sexuality. It's non-reproductive. You learn how to trust your dick. Then you go with your brothers out there in the wilderness for five or 10 years to support your gang because you will not be ready to fuck a proper woman. You know, the Madonna horror complex, you know, the Madonna. You will not be able to fuck the Madonna until you've delivered an abundance. You got to deliver way more than you need. You got to put 10 times more. This is hip hop again. You got to put 10 times more dollars on the table than you ever need for the woman to be turned on by you. And that's when you should use the Madonna. Okay, we have about 15 minutes left before I'm gonna open up the Q&A. Uh, and I think that Alexander's, this information should be taught in every school. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and exactly the way you do it, uh, that definitely, um, but it won't be uh, too bad. Alexander, you're muted. I'm muted. Alexander, you're muted. So are you, you can Kendall. only teach this after you've done your rite of passage. That means you can only teach yes. this to people who have a grown-up penis and a vagina that's juicy. Mm -hmm. Indeed. You cannot yeah. teach it to children. That's exactly why his nature has kindly left us with about five years be before between you mature and your penis grows and your vagina gets juicy. That's like you're 12, 30 years old. And the rite of passage in any culture is between 18 and 19. And we have those five years to teach them what this means that you have a penis there, or what this means you have a vagina there, what it feels like that, and what this leads to. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to, I don't know, Andrew, if you have a question, but I wanted no, no, to I, I was hoping you would chime in. Okay. To hear, hear from okay. You. Well, I, I think that it was 
Cadell brought up the sugar baby thing, which I think is like the other, I, I didn't mention that when I talked about kind of- Sorry, I don't know what that is. Can you can you guys explain to me what sure, that is? Because sure, sure. Uh, so sugar baby is like, uh, it's it came out of this website called Seeking Arrangements, which is basically a dating service where men and women, usually rich men, um, court uh, and offer kind of arrangements to women who put profiles on there about what kinds of basically men they want to date, uh, what kind of things they want to be given. Like it's really, it's brilliant in this sense. Like I think that something about seeking arrangements really is like gets at the reality principle of the relationships between men and women and allows for women and men to interact with a kind of contract. So if you are a woman and you put a profile up, you say like, oh, I'm a student, I'm studying anthropology, I have to pay for my housing and I have to pay for my student loans and I like to go out sometimes and I would love to go on trips and I want you to pay for that. And I will go and we'll hang out together yeah. and uh, I will be your sugar baby. And you'll I, I mean, I think Russian reality. You know? I love, I love that. Uh, just well, it's it's it is yeah. in that beautiful place between whoring and like being a, a girlfriend. <laughs> you know, it's like it's it's it, and it really just gets at this like groove between men and women, uh, where there is this like principle of arrangement that men and women have kind of figured out historically, and right now because of the ambiguity and essentially a kind of lack of commitment people people are too busy people have lots of stuff going on and now women have their own ambitions like they want to they want to get their degree they want to pay off their student loans they want to go build a business they want to go see themselves be kind of phallic in the world and a lot of these women they're so pragmatic they're so pragmatic they don't give a fuck about the fact that they're like pouring themselves they're like why do I care about that? I get to hang out with this like man who who likes my affection, brings me things, t takes me on these trips and adventures, appreciates the fact that I'm a woman and that I'm beautiful and that I like have that I'm intelligent. I mean, a lot of these women are women who are going to college. They're getting degrees. They're interested in developing themselves. And the other thing about these relationships is they also tend to have mentor mentee dynamics as well. So it tends to be an older man who has like, maybe he, a lot of them are in finance. Uh, a lot of them have very good connections to also to different kinds of people. So it's very pragmatic kind of choice to make, especially if you're a woman who's looking to climb the social ladder, which of course women are. Any ambitious woman who wants to be like a powerful matriarch is looking to climb the social ladder. And she's just using the tools around her to do that. And I think the, the thing about the sugar baby thing is I think it's like the most kind of like real pragmatic uh, experiment in this like all of the possible routes that this exploration of the dynamics between men and women can go and the female sexuality, the relationship to the Madonna whore complex. Because I think the other thing is that women, and I can speak for this myself, something about the prostitute that is so alluring and, as a role. It's, it's not something that is necessarily like repulsive. It's confusing. It's confusing because it's cast in this light, um, which makes sense within the context of a traditional society. You know, you don't want your women to become prostitutes. You want them to become mothers. And so you stigmatize prostitution. You stigmatize that kind of sexual relationship with men because you need a critical mass of women having babies or else you don't get the future. 
uh, and you don't get children who are getting the kind of investment that they need within the family structure. But I think that women still kind of like look at this thing and they're like, this is really interesting. What is going on there? Mm. What is this? What is this gaze? Like, what is this power? And there's been a divergence, you know, in history. You're either a Madonna or a whore and you can't go between. But the sugar baby thing is right in the middle. It's right in the middle. And so I think that that's a fascinating place to kind of study where people are being so fucking real about these relationships and dynamics between men and women. And they're just like letting them happen. Um, and what comes of that? I mean, I think the way that you represented it as an epidemic, I think it is an epidemic and has some kind of weird maybe implications for society in the sense that you know, maybe people aren't actually getting married and having babies out of these things. Mm -hmm. But um, I also think that it's, it's very interesting, especially within the complex of like the OnlyFans versus women who are like denying their, their femininity, dressing up as men, pretending they're men and never having sex again. I think this happened because of cultural reasons, because I don't think a meritocracy is worth it being called a meritocracy until the prostitute can become the, the, can, can become the queen, okay? That is possible in Russia and Brazil, perfectly possible. That's what I love about Russia and Brazil. These are <laughs> cultures where a prostitute who's beautiful and smart and clever because it's survival cultures. And if you've got a survival culture, then you could admire a woman for using her best assets at any given time. This is radical pragmatism. I'm teaching guys all the time that the male mind is stuck with ideals, but the female mm. mind never is. To learn to know a woman is to learn radical pragmatism. This is what we mean when we say that women are nature and nature, whereas men are nature and culture. It's radical pragmatism that brings women there. Okay. And what's interesting here, it's what exposed this, and I think kickstarted it, but people don't even know it, was Melania Trump. Because Melania <laughs> Trump is Slavic, comes from Croatia, married a guy who had his best days, but he was funny and quirky and he delivered both fame and money, means he both delivered capitalism and terrorism. She married him and she got a bunch of gay guys to make her look her best at any time for four years, okay? She's probably tired of it, she's probably retired now. But Melania Trump brought something incredibly important to Western culture, to Europe and America with his snobbish attitude against prostitutes. I'm sure Camille Pagla is gonna love, write a love piece eventually towards Melania Trump because she didn't even know this. She, she had no idea that America and Western Europe would sort of stigmatize the prostitute because ugly women got to the forefront of radical feminism, the, the beautiful women sort of st stepped away like Camille Pagla says. It's just like the gay movement. When the ugly guys took over, they destroyed it. When the beautiful gays who died from AIDS disappeared, the ugly guys took over. That's the problem of the LGBT movement. And we need to restore it to putting the great looking, fantastic, smart gay guy at the front of it, or the gay, the smart, shamanoid tranny at the top of it and be heroic again. And the same thing goes with feminism. And I think Melania Trump therefore disturbs radical feminism and world culture enormously. This is why they went after Donald Trump heavily. They really went after Melania because Melania is the ultimate sugar baby. She was in yeah. the White House as a sugar baby. She wasn't Michelle Obama who tried to overdress herself to look decently, you know, nice and be smart and all that, me the college girl. But Melania Trump was exactly all these things. She's incredibly powerful, powerful in presence. And this is what I tell the guys when they, when they project idealism onto women and, and they go into the Madonna whore di dichotomy. And I said, no, 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 don't believe the Madonna whore dichotomy. It's culturally specific. It's not universal. That's why you can get around it. You can understand that during her lifetime, a woman will go through certain things and she's very pragmatic. And for all the right reasons within her sort of intrigue driven world, she will maximize her opportunities and she should. 
And okay. that is where these young women come into the picture. I think, I think bringing all the garks of beautiful wives to the West is the best thing we could do right now. I think it's incredibly liberating and it exposes the hypocrisies of the current American, Western European sort of where it's stuck. Okay. Uh, so Raven looked just completely wrapped by what you were saying. And, and, and I mean, Canal, I I, I, Canal is like a, a, a he's like a great. stone, stone wall. <laughs> I don't know what Canal's thinking. So, so Canal, we have only three minutes left before I'm going to open it up. So I want to hear what, what the stone wall has to say. Um, that's not a reference to stone wall. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, I think, I mean, I, I, I think, I think it's in, I think it's incredibly, I think it's incredibly interesting the way in which um, both Bard and Raven are expressing their views on the sugar baby phenomena because it's kind of like taking the contradiction by the by the ball, so to speak, and just running with it, like just yeah. just sort of accepting it because there's like that that sort of moralizing aspect of the idealistic man's mind that it is in the man's mind and projected onto the woman this moral ideal. Um, which it, which does pathologize a lot of men, um, which is kind of like it it freezes you because you it freezes you because you reach the contradiction of like say for example the Madonna whore or like the sugar baby or you know um, someone like Melania Trump and you're like I don't know what to do with this or I I, I don't know I don't know how to move forward with this you know you're you you become frozen and like and like um, you know, almost, I, I think ultimately you become haunted by your own superego in some sense. Um, but this is, I think, where we do need the androgynous figure to sort of um, just, just go, just, just accept the contradiction. Just, just accept it. It's both. It's both. And, and, you know, I think that, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it is, it is, it is, it is what it is. We just have to accept it to, to love what we are. We, if, if we don't love what we are, then we're just going to spend our lives hating ourselves. We, I, I mean, I, I, I have, I, I have, I've had that experience already. I've had the experience of hating myself. I, I, I just want to accept myself. I, I got to accept myself, you know, uh, and, 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 and ride with it, or else I'll just go insane. That's what I meant with internalized violence. Yeah, that's, that's what happened. happened. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Kettle. It's beautiful. I mean, it happened, I, I, think, know, I, I think Raven are basically seducing you right now. So, but I'm, but I'm willing to be, I'm, I'm totally- You're hot like hell. You're hot let like me tell, let me tell, let me tell yeah. you something though about, about, my, about my psyche. Okay. Because, <laughs> because I am on, the more masculine end of things. And I, and like, technically I mean that because if I, if I think about something big and hard entering me, that would destroy my identity. I I'm literally technically on the masculine side of things. And, and what, and what I'm unconsciously doing to myself is setting up the social space where I can be released from my own pathological neuroses. And, and in order to do that, I need the tribe of the woman and the androgynous figure. I need to be taken by that. And then after that's happened, then I can be a man it, without this being frozen by the reality of my own body, not knowing what to do with myself. 
I, I think that's absolutely fantastic, uh, Cadell. I, I feel the exact same way uh, as you, in fact. Um, and I'd like to I'd like to now open up. The no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Before you do right. the question, let me just fill in one thing right. there. We created the Cartesian counting universe. You know how critical I of this idea of individualism. I think it's the most stupid religion ever, right? That's the West, essentially. Uh, and atomism eventually became the norm. I live in Sweden. This is a country where 70% of households are single households. So it's a very interesting social experiment. Yeah. Now, how do you think wins if you got a society women live alone and men live alone? Women beat the shit out of men. What the men, what the women do, because it, it's the travel map that women got is that they live in the city, they got two room apartment and a dog. And they date any guy they want, and they date the hot guys on Tinder that come straight out of the forest and, and are hunky and big dicks or whatever. And then they straight the gig, you know, the guy with all the money and twice their age, and they play Russian oligarchs and sugar babies, right? This is what they do because they think this is mental, they think of their home as the entire neighborhood. They think of the bars and the cafes and the shops and everything there as theirs. These shops and things are full of women and gay guys. They shoe shops, their cafes, the restaurants at night. And they're perfectly happy to live in this environment as long as they've got a job to go to during the daytime, they're happy. What do men do who live on their own in urban environments anywhere in the world? They lock themselves up in an apartment at night, jerk off to pornography, play computer games and hate themselves. Yeah. So I teach these guys, you cannot, because you think that small apartment is your home. It's not. you got to live with other brothers to begin to break out of that loneliness because you can't handle it. You yeah. can't handle it. The military service or monks in monasteries or anything, just look at any model of men live together. It's men who need other men to, you know, basically it's a game here. The women are fine on their own with their friends and the gay guys because they live like that. So there's a match here in the sort of modern urban environment that straight guys need to be aware of. And Cattle addresses it, he personifies it, mm -hmm. but it's also a lifestyle thing. It's also a thing of, you know, Monday to Friday every week. Yeah. Amen. Um, Amen. Thank you for preaching the gospel. All right. Um, I'm going to open up the, uh, um, the gallery here. So there's a bunch of people here, and if you if you would be kind enough, it would be great if you could show your faces, if you could turn on your, your cameras. Uh, you're, you can unmute yourself now, according to my uh, my Zoom. Uh, you can unmute yourself and ask a question. I, I would re really like to bring in Thomas Halmer at first because we've been talking about him a little bit at the beginning. Um, and so, so, and also because he's a regular here and, and, uh, always has good questions. I don't have, I, I haven't been able to follow the chat very well because I've been involved in the conversation and usually there's two of us. So I'll, I'll try to get to the chat, but I'm going to, I'm going to say the people who are here and, and want to ask a question, um, uh, if they could, if they could jump in, Thomas, are you, are you with us? Maybe Thomas is off smoking a joint or something um uh, he says he has no questions so wh oh, why don't okay. anyone who anyone who's asked a question why don't you just unmute yourself and yeah, ask a question? exactly unmute yourself yeah no i mean i have a question is uh what do you think uh this turn because we've seen a lot of things kind of conflate one thing is that we've uh one thing that's been a trend throughout a lot of literature is the idea of uh femininity being associated with technology I mean, you go back to the oldest computers and how Sadie Plant describes in her book how those were kind of a feminine creation. Of course, now we see this whole idea of people really merge this whole transhumanist fad thing, but also people really merging with machines 
in terms of the way that uh, you spoke of a social, I think one of you spoke of social media or something as like a feminine medium. So, I mean, how do all these things uh, relate to these changes? Okay, I don't know a single woman who wants to fuck a transhumanist. Not a single <laughs> one. That's why they would die out because they're so fucking boring. They're like 11 year olds who are scared of their penises. And the few <laughs> transhumanists who said have actually managed to breed and have kids. It's like, they're shocked. How did that happen? They got two kids. Okay, they at least fucked twice. How did that happen? Was it a clinic? All right. Okay, transhumanist is like the least sexy thing you could ever think of because it's actually a Platonist attempt to escape from sexuality. It's the contemporary pillar saint in its most, it's par excellence, as Slava Shishik always says, right? So if you want to look at the contemporary Platonist, that's why I think it's dying. That's why I think Silicon Valley is already over. Silicon Valley is so struggling with woke and it's actually fighting back on woke. I feel, see, feel a lot of healthy signs happening in technology already. And I'm glad it's maturing as quickly as it does right now because it needs to mature. Because maturing is sexualizing yourself. So I, listen, I'm going to write a book, right? I'm working on a book, which, write, which is like a war anthem against the axial age and the pillar saints and the boy fires of the world. I want to bring back sexuality and violence for that matter strongly into the human psyche and the understanding of ourselves. And, and, and the number one thing is transhumanism is already over, please. I mean, don't be so fucking nerdish and eight years old, you still think it's gonna happen. There won't be an uploading because uploading does not entail your genital organs. And if you're gonna be uploaded without genital organs, what a horror that would be. Like any guy would admit to me, if I cut off his dick, he would go and kill himself. And I'm sure women would do the same thing without the breast and the vagina. We are deeply sexual creatures. Someone's Respect. background noise is, is coming in again. That was probably me, sorry. Because I just wanted to chime in here. Uh, so one of the things that Pat Ryan says at his incredible like lectures at the STOA is that uh, copper being the body of the kind of technological world that we live in has an association with the alchemical sign, which is the same as the sign for female. So I think that it's, a, it's really interesting to of technology and the body of technology as having a feminine form. And I think that we can even see that on an emergent level, just like how the kind of technological environment that we interface with on a phenomenological level is flat and is like oceanic, you know, there's like oceans of information that we're all kind of in this like crazy space where there's no order, it's all flat. And I think this is why, you know, Bard brings in the phallus, right? Because we need to order ourselves within this technological environment that has this kind of form to it. So I think use that principle, the under, like the understanding of technology is kind of arising and coming into being through the body of this like feminine force, which is copper. And, you know, copper is this great kind of pliable characteristics. It makes sense since it's associated with femininity. And then we have McLuhan coming in and talking about how like the kind of electric age has these like really quickly moving feedback loops that allow for this like interaction and this intimacy and this breaking of distance. And that creates the global village, which puts us right into the center of the town square, like Bard said, where all the women are watching and everybody's starting to get into everybody's business. And of course, that's all the, that's what we're seeing right now. The, and that's why, once again, we need to bring in the Bard absolute, right? We need to be like, sorry, we've closed the doors. We are not letting you in. You cannot see what we're doing in here. And we are building our we're building our palace, right? Um, so I, I think that uh, it's it's interesting to look at the medium of the internet and our communication medium as such in this in the form of the feminine, um, and then bring in the masculine principle and think about that as being our kind of root uh, into the future 
and the possibility of ordering this like oceanic mess that we're in. And I wonder about sexuality as a way um, of an, an experiential way of getting the, an intuition for this kind of thing, which is why I think you're bringing up the transhumanists as being like totally like veered off in the wrong direction because they're not engaging with sex. So they don't have this intuitive understanding of the mercurial force of the woman, right? Like the fact that when you're engaging in courtship, everything is constantly changing. Your ideal shifts as you get closer to it. It actually distorts and turns into something else. You realize the thing that you've desired is not the, the thing that you have. And so there's all of these intuitive things about reality that I think come from exploring the sexual dimension. And that absolutely relates to engaging with women. And you have to do that. You have to engage with this, like the quality of femininity. And that means both men and women, women themselves dealing with this quality. And that's why I'm like so, uh, I'm so radical about people getting into sex, <laughs> like, like have sex and like figure out what that's like because you're really dealing with all of these shape-shifting forces. And that gives you a great intuition for how to engage in this world that has all of these principles acting that you need to kind of have this intuitive nature to, and maybe it's intuitive to me because I'm a woman, but. I can, just add, I can just add to that, that technology is ultimately the male-female envy. So the ultimate matrix or, or mammal envy, remember that two women, female genital organs, matrix mammal, only one masculine is phallus. So uh, this is the envy. So women give birth to children, reproduction. So men dream about giving birth to technology. So the first way is that men, men play magic tricks to women and the women laugh and then they get to fuck the women. That magic has to eventually become something and that is eventually when we move from yesterday's magic is tomorrow's technology. That is civilization itself. So men dream about creating technology, but just like a woman would prefer maybe to have a son if you ask her and then love having a daughter when she gets it. It's the same thing with men. Men love to think of technology as giving birth to a son that will survive him. But when technology turns out to be feminine, men love it even more. This is exactly how sexual difference actually plays out. So if technology is what men create to impress women, it, it's kind of how they give birth. Their ideas materialize. The technology has materialized ideas. Mm -hmm. I can also uh, uh, sort of build on that actually because one of Lacan's hypotheses of the symbolic order is that it's structured by what he calls the missing phallus. That there's that there there's there's the the man man hat. It's 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 based on this. It's based on this distinction that's present in Freud, of the distinction between having a penis and not having a penis. It's sort of the absence of the phallus. That it's not it's not that man has penis and woman has vagina. It's man has penis, woman does not have penis. So it's the, the presence of the absence of the penis. That's, and that man's, man basically is what he's neurotic about in his ideals and his moralization is basically finding this other phallus, like finding the missing phallus. And I think that this could materialize as technology. Um, that, that, that technology is the way man tries to find the missing phallus. That's why, like, for example, like we build, why do we build a rocket ship to go to the moon? Because men who are disconnected from this reality are unconsciously driven for the, this missing phallus. It's not because they're actually any point of going to the moon. It's because they're unconsciously patholog. And the same thing, and the same thing for the, 
the silicon tech, the, uh, tech transhumanist culture, they're also looking for the missing phallus. And that's why in the modern science fiction universe, what you're seeing emerge as the dominant theme for the, for the, the, the transhumanist movement is basically the emergence of the perfect other, like qua, like for example, the movie Her, Samantha, or for example, Ex Machina, where basically what you're doing is you're building this perfect other that would manifest and finally you would be able to interact with the missing phallus. So this, this fantasy is re-emerging um, and I think that you know, how this, how this plays out in whatever metaphysics we're developing here with the intellectual deep web is, is, you know, I mean, super interesting, open discussion. Yeah, like you never see robots, like AI robots that are men. They're always women. They're always women. Nobody wants to look at a male robot. They just want to look at women. I mean, it's amazing. Like, I think that it truly is a kind of feminine takeover that we're seeing with the internet. Like, well, I guess female happening. robots are domestic in some way, and then male robots are off, you know, fighting wars or something. But there's nothing aesthetic about a male like robot, these right? Weird, you know, metallic kind of thing. Right? Yeah, nothing aesthetic about it. It's even worse than that. The Terminator was for kids, but Alien was for grown-ups. So it cannot be interesting unless it's a female body. To, 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 to see the, the grown up in it. But I would like to add what Cattle just correctly said is that there's the opposite one and that's the search for the mamilla. And mamilla was ignored before Julia Kristeva started talking about it in the 80s. And I'd love to talk about mamilla all the time because it's not in Freud, not in Lacan. This is, this is, this is what the woman has on her body the man does not have, where the woman, the mamilla, right? Yeah. But the mamilla here, the two mamillas, the, the mamilla you come from, which is the motherly mamilla, the mamilla you come out of. So it's both the matriarch that gave birth to you and your motherly body, the body you came out of. The matrix, you came out of, you touch mamilla. Life is a journey from the mamilla towards the phallus to finally one day kill the phallus and then become either matrix or phallus afterwards. That is essentially what life is. So when we talk about men looking for the missing phallus, the cattle director describes, it's the desire to be something more noble, upward, mobile, what men have to have a direction towards. In contemporary society, when we try to kill the phallus, that like, men get completely freaked out because they're not only looking for the missing phallus and then they fuck the woman and they have to look for it again and again and again, but it's also that the missing, the, the phallus they're looking for is vision and direction to somewhere to go. Where do we go next? What kind of religion do we have? So religion is for men, spirituality of women. The, the religion is for men to go after with the phalluses. But for women, this is also interesting because women, that means they look at the men who go towards the phallus, they join them in, you know, they hug with them and go in and, and they go on towards the promised land. But the women then deliver the mamilla. And here's what's so key, what's key to this, is that the brothel madam again is the key between the original mother and fucking your mother. So you fuck the brothel madam or the, the, you fuck the older woman and then you go into a full on relationship with the Madonna woman who might be the mother of your children. When you go into that relationship, which is secondary and comes afterwards, when you go to that relationship, you're going back to Mamilla. You sexualize Mamilla. And hey, you're gonna fight your own fucking kids about sucking that tit on that woman's body. But it's not gonna be your mother's tit. It's so interesting that Kristeva exposed this in the 1980s. There's something eerie about a tit that looks like a mother's tit that you suck because you had to turn around when you're one years old and hate the thing you love the most in life. This is the PTR that looks for everywhere, that we look for the obby, we look for everywhere. So what I'm doing in my work is that I'm discussing the mamilla as the object we're missing and looking for all the time. So we can go for phallus as the project we're missing and looking for all the time. 
Hmm. We do the both the men and women. We do the both the men and women. We're looking for the phallus to give us the direction of where to go. And the women look for the men to do it so they can join in. That's why the, the heritage is always on the, on the men's side and the heritage is supposed to be male. So the women can join in and play their part and get their share out of it. But the women are then offering the mamula back to the man of the sexual act. So it's, it's between phallus and mamula all the time, not phallus and matrix. Sexually, we're between phallus and mamula. Okay, was it was it Weston who was asking the question, uh, or because uh, he has? I think you have a follow up, right? That was Hal, but oh, Weston also Hal. does have some questions. Okay, thanks. Okay, uh, Hal, do you, is there anything you want to just respond to before we get to Weston's uh, question? I mean, uh, not anything particular. That was a uh, there was a lot. Uh, that was a lot. Uh, I was both yeah. looking for and not looking for. But I mean, I think. Uh, I mean, in terms of like the, the phallic or whatever, I mean, you see like that whole idea of like men creating machines, men creating like buildings. Of course, you think of Trump or something like that. But then the idea that then this would uh, morph into the feminine, I mean, that's just kind of interesting because I'm thinking of Zuckerberg. Because Zuckerberg created Facebook supposedly according to the social network because he wanted to get fucked, right? And then, of course, Facebook transformed into what it is today, at least according to under this thesis, a feminine platform. And I think it's uh, also kind of kind of weird how like a lot of these platforms, well, maybe not weird, maybe makes sense, do develop in that way. So you see like Facebook has become like super obsessed with um, uh, like very motherly concerns. Think about the types of things that go viral on these platforms too. Like very feminine things like kittens or knitting or something like that. Like very, very stereotypically feminine things go very viral on all of these uh, platforms. Women are half the population. Mark Zuckerberg married his mom. He didn't marry a woman. She even cuts his hair. He's, he's, he's only 11. He's not even 12 yet. End of issue. Okay. okay, Weston, did you want to unmute yourself and ask your questions? Uh, hey, hey, yeah, sure. So um, can you hear me all right? Yeah. Cool. Um, my question was just about, because you guys uh, actually brought up like this whole aspect of what technology is missing and just as somebody who is in that space marks in technology i'm kind of curious like how how do us straight men that are primarily occupying the positions of building these technologies um i guess bring our proper role to the to the feminine feminine uh platforms that they've become i guess uh, according to this panel here just like to hear some of your thoughts or maybe also clarify whether or not you as a you guys as a panel are saying that it is too feminine or whether it's too too masculine because i think the one thing that we're all clear on is that there's obviously something kind of wrong or missing about the way that we're doing technology and communications i think because i i kind of tend to think about technology as it goes into the future as like our primary means of communication and obviously that's been kind of yeah i i want to say more that clear I, because of the pandemic okay, okay i don't okay. think hold on i don't think that i'm saying that 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 uh, that there these networks are masculine too masculine or too feminine i think the critique is that they're too boyish and immature and that there's not a proper masculine and a feminine, and that maybe the masculine is is involved in the engineering and and, and creating the container, and then the, the, for the feminine spirit to enter, and maybe there's a dynamic there. But I, I don't want to 
you know, complain about. We're going to have we're going to have the all the things that were wrong with the previous society thrown at us, and that's exactly what we have in children's diseases everywhere. And Facebook just repeated you, uh, MySpace's mistake, and Facebook will be gone within no time at all. It's it's, it's just not the future. Uh, the thing is this, you can't design masculine or feminine in the sense, and it's stupid to do it. If you're an architect today and you plant a lawn, you plant the lawn. You don't put the paths there. You wait another year and wait and see how people walk across the lawn. Then you put the lawn there. Any, any, any sort of Platonist architecture is dead. The whole point with the lesson architecture in the late in the late 20th century was that we should now create environments that are human friendly. And at least that's where you put gardens on top of rooftops and things like that. So that's the future of architecture. That's a given. That means that half the population are masculine and half the population are feminine. The last time I checked, that's like 4 billion of each. That's evolutionary environments. I, I, don't, I don't worry when people let their own nature, the social biology, speak through them into their needs and where they go. That quickly develops evolutionarily and gets adapted to humans. I'm worried about Platonist little boys who try to decide how we're gonna live our lives and become tyrants over technology. That's what I'm scared of. Because if you just create evolutionary open environments and landscapes and use tons of open source to begin with, out of that will come the nodes that we call plurality in our work. It's very feminine, right? Start with the feminine. Out of that will come the nodes that will rise as fallacies out of it. And we have algorithms to point out which one of these ones work. Now, if the algorithms don't get corrupted by money or manipulated by politics or conformed by academics, meaning if the, all the old institutions are out of the way, and algorithms can just be free and open towards human expression as it is, then in the Lusian way, you will find an internet that will eventually grow and mature. Just get the Platonist architects out of the way. They're the ones we need to get rid of. Any follow-up, uh, Weston? Well, I, I, let me, let me uh, also get, maybe give some um, perspective that might help Weston because my view is that if you want to know what's gone wrong with the technology and the technologist space, pay attention to the theories of communication and information in the cybernetics revolution. Because in, for example, Shannon information, they were able to develop a theory of information opposite to the theory of entropy and physics. But what was missing, basically, they were able to develop a theory of information that would open up the information revolution. But what was missing from that theory and is well known in cybernetics is the meaning. So you can have zeros and ones, you can have transfer of information technically. But what's missing in their theory of what's missing in their theory of information is the meaning. And that's why now what do we say we have a meaning crisis. So there's, we don't have a theory. So the technologists have the, 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 the technical understanding of information and communication, but they're totally operating in a dead universe. So I think that this is the gap that Bard's speaking to, which is that the question that comes up is we have the ability to develop very advanced technology, but we don't know why we're doing it. And we don't know what the consequences of it for the human environment. So what I'm saying is, is that when you're developing the technology, there needs to be a deep relationship 
And this we saw at the manifesto leadership meeting yesterday. We need to have a deep relation. Look, we have a we have a split within academia between the STEM fields, which are masculine, and the humanities, which have been ripped of the phallus. There's no phallus in the humanities. And that's why the STEM fields don't respect the humanities anymore. Because there's no phallus there. So what we need to do is we need to take the best and brightest engineers and tech people, and we need to take the best and brightest philosophers and, and, and deep thinkers, and we need to have them be interacting constantly. Because if, if, you, if you just have the machines and the technology, but you, they, you don't have the meaning and the purpose and the why. So like what I would say is, for example, we can build a large, a large Hadron Collider, but why? Or we can build we can build these advanced social networking platforms, but why? So we we need to have that a deep, constant conversation, and the humanities needs to have the phallus back. I would just say That's too, good, just to yeah. con connect this to this idea of the dark renaissance. I think what's so amazing is that the unit the unity, the like the bringing together of these two asymmetrical forces, we could think of this within the context of sex because they're specialization, right? You know, like having a technical knowledge of something is, is a hard task where you have to basically extend your cognition into the way of being of a machine. And that kind of creates, a, that's a kind of particular type of person. Um, and then the people in the humanities are extending themselves into this organic realm, you know, where they're working with these with myth, with all sorts of things that cannot be, you know, you need membranics essentially to like understand what's going on within within the realm of human beings. You need emergence, you need to understand complexity because these are things that cannot be definitively divided. They're all interconnected. And we're seeing ourselves and even in this conversation, you know, turning things, pulling out and, em and emphasizing one aspect of something, but it's still stuck to this other complex, this like whether or not it's trinity or it's a paradox or a contradiction. And that's kind of how, you know, these, these, the slushing of dialectics moving, these things are entangled with each other. You need to have this kind of brain, this synthetic kind of, I would say, queer brain in order to really conceptualize these things and be able to wield the power. And unity of these forces, like the bringing together of these things with the phallic gaze, with observing that which people are not brave enough to see and to confront and talk about, that is like... The, has the possibility of creating such an incredible scene uh, and bring forth this like dark renaissance. That's yeah, like so technological, radically technological and also phallic and also rooted in, in the deep understanding of human beings. And the three sexes that you're describing, right? That the need for all three of them, right? Uh, you know, the, the this triad seems to be in, in the humanities, it may be overweighted in it, you know, in the, in the feminine and so on some level, but, you know, a lot of artists have been sort of bisexual anyway. And, and, and so there is a, there is a sort of, there is a queer aspect to probably the humanities, which is less present maybe in the technology, technological world or, but, but then all these realms could use all of these three elements that's that's what yeah I'm the, the thing is that the shamanoids are here and we're hearing the people and the call they'll be called in and we're all part of that but we don't want to be role models for anybody that was the big mistake after 1945 because after the phallus disappeared and there were no male role, model, role models around at all then the men started mimicking shamans and young men are not supposed to mimic rock stars to go and kill themselves on drug overdoses when they're 35. okay in my world to kill yourself on a drug overdose at 35 is normal. 
perfectly normal to be even cherished, right? That's my world, but not a world for a guy who goes towards a mortgage and want to get married and have three kids. That was Camilla Pogla's prophetic point all along. I'm not here to be role model. That's why you and I, Andrew, and Thomas talked a lot about the difference between Sutra and Tantra, because Tantra is essentially just an environment where it's impossible to mimic something. You have yeah. to invent who you are. But well, that's, not the art. Need, that's the art. Not all people need to go. Artists need to go there, certainly, because artists need to move into the shamanoid androgynous, or as we call it now, queer sphere. And the queer sphere is between men and women, and the queer sphere is between tribes. But it's not where men are located, should be comfortably located in the outer circuit. Women should be firmly located in the inner circuit. If you, if you go towards tribal mapping and get it right this time, maybe the shaman can walk into the square and give his vision of things through art exhibitions and all kinds of things and give his distorted dark renaissance version of what's going on and you know, force people to rethink and go through transformative experiences, which is what shamans are great at, but not to mimic the shaman. I am after 30 years in the music industry so fucking tired of people who can't love themselves for being craftsmen or teachers or, or whatever they do in their everyday lives and think they're all gonna be rock stars. They, who came up with that idea? You're not supposed to mimic the fucking shaman. He's mad, he dies young and he's not even pretty. Get out of there. Don't go in the shamanoid world. But this was the problem with Christianity all along. We didn't make a difference, a clear difference with the shamanoid world because Christianity said we should ban it and keep it out of there. And then only came back as a pressure cooker and tore us apart. And we then exploited the entire planet and almost killed ourselves. The shamanoid needs to be put in its right place where it should have its own little pride things going on where queer people are proud of themselves, but they should not interfere with a beautiful, with a beautiful relationship between men and women, where over 90% of the population are perfectly comfortable to be. Okay, we've got one minute left. And uh, I think we're, we've touched on the dark renaissance. We've explored, uh, definitely explored uh, the sexual apocalypse. Um, and, uh, and this has been uh, really fantastic. Um, thank you all for being here. Um, one last question though. A lot of the guys are asking about sadomasochism and the same that you're tough in bed and the women love to be submissive. Okay. You're just discovering heterosexuality, guys. It always worked like that. And why don't you play around with it in a tantric course and let her dominate you and it's even more fun. Let's put it that way. Okay. Some more, <laughs> some more holy words from, uh, from Alexander. Um, so thank you so much, everybody. Uh, thanks for uh, um, coming to uh, coming here and, and, Hopefully uh, we'll do it again sometime soon. Um, please check out uh, all of our lectures and series on Parallax. Parallax is growing, it's, it's developing. We're developing, uh, we're, we're concretizing our, 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 our ideas and working on it. And we appreciate any kind of help if you wanna join Patreon and all that sort of thing. Um, so uh, so uh, th thank you so much uh, and, uh, and um, I guess vivre the 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 uh, dark renaissance and the sexual apocalypse. <laughs> Take care everybody. <laughs>